Welcome to AIs and with Andrew and Jen, a podcast where a designer and a data scientist break it down and duke it out over how to create awesome AI experiences. Welcome back to AI Zen with Andrew and Jen. And this is now 2020 and we are on our ninth episode of AI Zen. Andrew, I can hardly believe it. We just started six months ago and here we are. It feels like yesterday. It does. (laughs) Because it was. Um, Well, you and I have been talking um, back and forth, I think, about features that we see in the world that we think might be interesting to break down for people. And uh, although this is going to be an explaining machine learning uh, episode, I think we're going to get a little more deep into really under the hood, how does this thing work? And there are a lot of little things that we take for granted in our lives that are using machine learning. Um, But when we start to pull it apart and think, wait, how did they do that? I, I use that every day. It, you know, it's a little more complex than, you know, just actually looking under the hood of a car, maybe, or for me, it seems so. So, um, I'm excited that you're going to explain some things in detail today. So, uh, let's start with just, um, a recap, like before we get into real features, Andrew, will you explain just like in general, give us a recap. How does machine learning work overall? Yeah, absolutely. So the way we think about, uh, programming machine learning is that, uh, it's not learning by coding where we explicitly tell, uh, the algorithm, what it needs to do, but rather it's learning by example. And that's kind of a a mind shift from how we've uh, traditionally done programming. And uh, I've I've tried to come up with with the way to describe how to visualize that or how to think about um, what it means to learn by example. Uh, So the most important thing when you're uh, training machine learning is to give it very clear examples of what um, what kinds of inputs mean what kinds of outputs and you you don't want to give it something that's ambiguous you want to uh, be able to look at this and say right away hey this is an example of so and so so the the visualization I I use is is a gravity uh, visualization so think that you're out in outer space and every piece of data you train the system on is is like a star uh, a star or some big celestial body and as you, you know uh, every star has a sort of gravitational pull to it so uh, the, the way I think about it is if I were to drop something out into outer space what star would it get pulled into what what type of example has the a gravitational well that's going to pull me in and uh, what becomes an important is I need a strong cluster of related examples that's going to have um, that's going to have good gravitational pull. If I've got a bunch of space junk out there, uh, who knows what direction I, I may uh, get pulled in if uh, if you just drop me out there. But if I've got clear, organized examples that are that are uh, very strong examples of what they're trying to show, that's going to produce strong gravity, and um, I'm going to get pulled towards the right place. So what's an example of some, how do you give, uh, something strong gravity? How do you really make it easy for a machine to, uh, understand what you're trying to describe a trait? Sure. So let's take an example of, of a virtual assistant or, or a chat bot. And let's say I'm a hotel and I, I want to uh, have a, a bot that handles sort of the front desk kinds of questions. So you may ask me a question like, hey, where's the gym? Uh, and that's a very clear example. There's no ambiguity in what you want. You want to know where the gym is, right? Uh, so that's, that's a great example that I would use for, for training the system or even an example like, Hey, where can I go work out? 
that's still very clear uh, what you're trying to do. You're still trying to get to a gym ultimately, right? But uh, in contrast, I could say something like, hey, I'm coming into your hotel at seven o'clock tonight and I need to get a quick workout in before I go to bed, right? That's also uh, an example of I want to get to the gym, but it's very confusing because you talked about all sorts of things that, that don't matter in terms right. of figuring out where where you want to go, right? And 90% of that phraseology would still apply if you were asking, where can I go get something to eat? Right? What kind of bed do you have? Uh, you know, all sorts of questions like that, right? So, so that, that last example is one that I would call, there's a lot of space junk in there. Whereas the first two were very, very strong gravity wells. I see. So it's about the phrasing of the question that you are answering for the chatbot. Right. So yeah, in this chat example, it's how much of the, the phrase matters to determining the user intent. Since when you're in a chatbot, most of the machine learning is to deduce the user intent from what the user has said. Then if I'm interacting with a chatbot, will I get better answers if I just don't put things into sentence structure, but just list out the main objects and actions I want to take? Like if I said gym, locate gym, where or gym location, uh, will I get what I want? So the, the unsatisfactory answer is it depends. It always depends on how <laughs> the system was trained, right? Um, and, and a confounding factor is uh, a lot of times these chatbots are deployed in such an interface that you can't tell if you're talking to a machine or to uh, a person, right? And if you're talking right. to a person, it might be better uh, at handling some of that ambiguity or, or so forth, right? But if, if in fact, you, you know you're talking to some sort of mechanical solution um, or automated solution being more to the point is probably going to help you, right? Because generally when people are training these, these bots or these assistants, they're using more simplified examples uh, and more to the point examples. So maybe that's a way I can figure out if I am talking to a person or a robot, I will just say, Jim, where? And if I get a response back, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Maybe it is a person. It might be. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the other thing I wasn't sure about, you were talking about give it, I'm really picturing the, you know, the Einstein grid of, uh, fabric with the big ball planet sitting on that grid, pushing it down. Yep. Uh, and so <laughs> What is an example then of junk? Does that mean it's better for me to just have one really big, clear example and then not a bunch of alternate things people might say? Uh, no. So you want to have related examples and ideally they would sort of cluster in, in some area. Now I, I need to point out that we're very much torturing a metaphor here. Uh, when yeah. most, <laughs> most, most, uh, machine learning algorithms you use work in hundreds or thousands of dimensions. And that sort of breaks my brain in terms of how I think about that. So I think about a reduction in, in a two dimensional space, cause I can at least draw a picture of that or, or three, three D because I can, you know, visualize it. Um, but in, in reality, that's not exactly what's happening. Right. So, so it's a, um, it, all, all, how does it say all models are wrong, but some models are useful, right? This is a, I hope it's a useful, uh, model for how you think about this, but it's, it's not in fact how things work. It's uh, not a perfect metaphor. It's not perfect, but, but, <laughs> but to, to your point about, do I use one giant example? Well, well, no, you definitely, definitely want to capture some variations. Um, but again, in those variations, they should be, um, they should still be to the point, right? So, uh, the first two I gave you, which was, I believe like, where is the gym and, and where can I go work out? Mm -hmm. There's no superfluous information in there. Every single word, uh, is essentially helpful to, to figuring out what's going on. But when I prepend that with, Hey, I'm arriving at seven o'clock and I'm a little bit worried, uh, what can I, um, 
I, I need you to help me with this one thing before I go to bed. None of, none of that um, actually helps you figure out what they, what they want. Right. So there, there's probably 10 different ways to ask, uh, to, you know, where the gym is and those all 10 would probably be great examples. Um, but not when I'm adding this, the stuff that could, could go for any, any intent. Hmm. I, this feels like, um, the best way to talk to a chat bot is also the best way to talk to an executive, just bullet points and uh, as little extra stuff around the edges as possible. Just A, B, C. That's kind of a fun analogy. I like that. <laughs> I've never heard it described that way before. Really? <laughs> Treat your chatbot like you treat your executives. Uh, yeah. With a dad as an executive, I didn't get to have many superfluous words. So I know all about this. Um, all right. So we have some general machine learning background now. We give... Oh, you know what? Before we move on, there is this one still moment of magic that I'd like you to demystify for me, which is, I know that we give uh, a computer many examples of things, and then we tell it to go out in the world and find things that also match that example. What is actually happening there when I give it an example and it's out in the world looking for a match? What, how, what is it comparing? How does it... I mean, I know for images, it's a, the shape of a line maybe, but what about more abstract things? Right. So like, it's, it's going to depend on what kind of uh, algorithm you're doing, whether it's images or, or text or, or what have you. But you can think of it generally as you, you've got uh, labeled examples, you've got inputs and outputs, and all it knows is that each of these inputs is an example for this kind of output. Um, so generally, it's going to break down the inputs into some sort of component structure. Um, in in uh, a text processing, it'll probably be uh, the specific words and, and word pairs, word sequences, uh, which we would call n-grams, uh, just a, a sequence of words. For the images, it, it could be you know pixels and lines and that sort of things. And it's just going to play around with different combinations and uh, determine does, does each of these is there a way I can uh, infer a pattern from the kinds of components in these inputs that go to the outputs what is uh, an anagram like with text I'm still does that yeah. mean you know I, I figure we've labeled what every word is and that is just how we figure out natural language understanding. Is that true? Or can we be more abstract than that? It's, it's, it's close. Um, so, so again, we will give a, a phrase uh, in a chatbot example, we'll give a phrase and let's say there's 10 words in it. Um, and it goes and we, we tell it what's the intent of that phrase, right? But we don't know which of those words necessarily mattered to it. Um, mm -hmm. so one of the features that the classifier will build. Um, it, it's called n-grams, but so n-gram is a fancy term. N is an, a variable. So there's unigrams, which is one word. Uh, bigrams is two words. Trigrams is three words. Um, but they're sequences, right? So if I if I'll pick on trigrams, if I hear three words in a row, do they are is that three word sequence? very significant. So one thing I might learn is, uh, like example, where is the gym, right? That was four. Uh, mm. I've got two trigrams in there. Where is the, and is the gym? Oh, right. So I, I'm, I'll, I'll look at those and say, Hey, do those have any significance? Right? So where is the, it's, it gives you a pretty good indication that it's a location question, but it may not tell you what we're, what specifically we're trying to find. Is right? the system looking through, uh, I think you said bigram, trigram, and gram. Is it going through all those variations or is it somehow, cause I would have thought that was, you called it a bigram, right? Mm -hmm. So there it is a gem. 
it'll use a combination, right? Because none of those things are, are by themselves are going to give the answer, but it's a combination that'll get you there. Mm, mm. So it is looking at different groupings of the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and then what are we giving it to say, oh, that's a significant grouping or not? So we're, we're, we're not giving it anything, but it's going to infer, um, it's going to start inferring which of those patterns matter. So we've, we've been going on and on about where is the gym, right? But I've probably got 10 or 20 other intents that I'm training on. Uh, each of those are going to have five, 10, 20 examples. So, uh, hopefully I've got something like 200 examples, right? And it's going to start inferring uh, which parts of the examples mean the most, right? Are, are the most useful for for determining, um, you know, what's the user intent. And that's when it says, I think what you meant was this. So here's my answer. But if not, <laughs> maybe this is something you wanted instead. Right. So, so do you raise a good point about, you know, how to tell if it's doing a good job? And so here's one more metaphor I, I use. And I think this one's not quite as tortured as the other. Um, but remember way back to when we were in school, in, in high school or in college, and uh, we were given a bunch of homework problems to do. Right. And uh, I'm sure you remember that the answers to all the odd homework problems were in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you turned in your homework, uh, you could say, hey, I got I got 95 percent of these right. Um, and that's sort of a, a training score because you were provided the answers. Mm-hmm. But it's if, if I ask you the question, well, how well do you know the material? The answer is not 95 percent uh, because we don't really know if you understood it um, and uh, you got to the right answer or if you kind of peeked at the answer and worked backwards. Right. So that's why you would give greater weight to the quizzes and the exams, or at least your professors would. Right? Because oh. what really matters is how do you perform on things you haven't seen before? That's a really good metaphor. I get that one. I like that. So our machine learning is going to learn. It's going to infer some patterns right? Mm-hmm. from any training data we give it. But the way we tell if these are useful patterns is we tested on things that we didn't train it on. And that Still becomes a moment the quiz. Of magic becomes, in there. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Okay. <sighs> You're so patient with all my questions. Thanks. Um, all right. So the, now, now that now that we have this general understanding, um, we wanted to go into some really simple things that we use every day. And the first thing you and I started talking about was um, spell check. I mean, it's an an older feature. We've had it for a long time. Um, when you connect it to things like autocorrect or type ahead, it starts to get pretty fancy and even more useful. So how the heck do they do that? How is it that when I'm typing on my phone, even with personal names, I found now, if I start typing J, it'll pop up Jennifer. Yep. It's crazy. It is. It is. Uh, and what I love about this is this an example that everyone has experience with, or at least most of us have experience with. Um, so uh, again, th- you have an algorithm that's, that's looking for patterns, right? And, uh, there, there's a couple different ways to go. So, um, let's say you're, you're typing in a text message and, and you misspell one of the words, right? So it can, um, pretty trivially, trivially using very old technology, look at every single word and see, look, is it in a dictionary or not? Right. Um, and by, by dictionary, I literally just mean a, a list of words. Um, mm-hmm. so if you misspell chatbot and you change the last, the T and the O, it's like, well, I've never seen this word. Uh, so this mm-hmm. is a, a reasonable indication that it's spelled wrong. Right. So I can start looking at ways of how do I, um, how do I correct this? Uh, so there, there's very simple rules based ways, which is, 
hey, are there nearby words that I could get this thing to if I make a small number of corrections, like probably one or, or possibly two? Right. So in, in the case of if I spelled chatbot, C-H-A-T-B-T-O, it's one correction to get to the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can also use fancier ways. Um, this goes back to those, those engrams, those word sequences. I can look at uh, sequences that contain the words surrounding the word that's uh, wrong or the word that's not in my dictionary. And I can look at, hey, what words are commonly used in this context? And I can check, you know, how close, uh, how close they are to um, the word that I've typed in. And what I, what I like about this one is that even if the word I type in is a legitimate word, um, it, it can still say, Hey, wait a minute. I never see it in this context. Right. So if you think about, uh, head and lead, right They're they're off by that first letter and they're both words, right? But I can look at the, the, the ones, you know, before and after and, and see, Hey, nobody ever uses head here. They always use lead, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you look at type ahead, type ahead is, is essentially a spell check on a, on a sentence or a word that's not done yet. Right. So it can look at what you've got, um, and it's, it's just doing the, the, the context before your words, right? It's, it's, it's not necessarily predicting the words that you're going to type in yet, but the word that you're currently on and, and say, look, based on the past three words that you typed, what's likely to come next and how close is it to uh, what I've got? So I can t- detect a misspelling that way. Or if you've typed in the first three letters, it can... It's got a, a sense of what are the words that start with those three letters that fit in this context. That's like the yeah, it makes perfect sense. But it's doing it so fast. It is. It's amazing how fast it is. I'm looking up right now, like how many words are in the English dictionary? In 1993, there were half a million words. Now, that's not even accounting for like all the slang that we use and proper nouns and... How is it that fast? It's amazing. And you think about your phone, you know, it has more power than what we used to put a, um, to put a van on the moon. Right. Uh, so you do have, you've do got a lot of processing capability around, um, but there's, there's always potential shortcuts as well. Right. So there's, there's half a million words. That's true. Um, but most conversations are going to stick to the same, you know, what, 2000 words, give or take. (laughs) Right. So, um, that's just one possible area where you can shortcut this thing. Um, there's other rules that you might see in action. Like, um, oftentimes it won't try to correct a a word that starts with a capital because that's a strong indication that it's either a, um, an acronym or, or a person's name or something that's not going to show up in a dictionary, something that won't have a lot of training data. Hmm. When, uh, when we started working on this technology, how did we, maybe you don't know the answer to this now I'm just getting super nerdy, but how did we figure out like, what are those 2000 words? Did we have test conversations 2 million times? And then whatever words came up most frequently in those, we limited it down to, or, uh, do you know? Yeah. So, so in all likelihood, it was just a simple counting exercise. Uh, so you grab, you know, a bunch of transcripts or a bunch of documents or, or whatever, and it's a reasonably simple exercise to go, go through and count how many times each word shows up. Okay. Gotcha. Um, if this is not, if this is going to take us down a way different path, stop me. But my question is, how, what about this can help me understand what is so challenging about developing natural language understanding for computers? Well, 
Um, so a lot of the words that you've got in, in text, um, in text messages, for instance, are, are text speak, right? So LOL or ONG or, you know, all sorts of the, the abbreviations, um, mm -hmm. that you use in text. Um, if you are trying to train a model from, let's just say Wikipedia, which is written in reasonably formal English language, it won't perform very well on text speak, um, particularly if you're using a lot of those abbreviations, right? So a, a lot of the problems that we have when we build machine learning models is, is matching the, the training data to, uh, to our eventual application, right? Because collecting training data is, is rather expensive. Wouldn't it be great if I could reuse this document that existed somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's about getting enough of the good examples in so that it can make those recommendations more quickly. Right, right. Um, absolutely. And uh, you, you want clear examples where possible. Um, and, you, you know, let's think about, let's say I've deployed some autocorrect model and I want to know how it's doing. Uh, I'd like to get some feedback on it, right? Yeah. So one of the things that, that they'll do is uh, if there's an autocorrect and then you hit the send, mess, the send button, it'll assume, hey, that was probably okay, the correction that I did, right? Uh, particularly mm -hmm. if you waited a certain length of time before you sent it. Um, but if it autocorrected and then you went back and deleted the word and typed it in again, uh, it'll learn, hey, I can't be jumping in on that or I can't be jumping in with that particular suggestion. Right? So the model comes with some parameters, like if you suggest a respelling two times and the user declines it, two times, mm -hmm. you are not going to suggest that anymore. And you might even adapt your spelling of it to what they're using. It, it definitely should do that. That's a design consideration you should make. Um, I, I feel that there are some systems where it just keeps trying to correct me and I, I, yeah. I get very frustrated with it, right? Yeah. Now it seems like the um, model, though, has many layers of decisions it's making. Is that like once a model goes from find other things in the world that match the thing I gave you an example to. Mm -hmm. And then after you found that same thing multiple times, um, based on the actions that come after it, adapt what you are learning, like yeah. what is that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, in any sort of complex application like this, we would, we would have multiple layers, um, and, and each layer would have one thing that it's good at. And, um, you would, you would decide, look, if the aggregate result of all these different layers is, is a high confidence thing, then, Hey, I'm going to give it a try. Um, and if it's not, you know, I'll, I'll let it go perhaps. Right. So in that example of what was it, head and lead, mm -hmm. I, I may find that, look, it's, it's pretty equally likely that either of those words works or, or maybe it's very slightly likely that the, whatever I typed in was, was wrong. But I may say, you know what, I'm not going to jump in on this one because it was so close. Hmm. And the model is, determining that it's or it could be the model or, or could be the application right it depends how you build it hmm. but that okay so now i'm picturing layers of if then equations uh how many layers in a model before i'm talking about a neural network is it far removed from that um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure the number of layers would, would matter towards going toward a neural network. And even if you're using a neural network, you still may layer things on top of it, right? So mm -hmm. most of these type of heads, uh, there's a specific type of neural network you use when you only have data in one direction, right? Um, but you may still layer something on top of that and say, look, if the neural network is, you know, 85% confident, then go ahead on it. Um, and if it's less than that, um, wait and see or collect this as an example or there's all sorts of ways you could go. 
Andrew, picture like in a hundred years, how long are these chains of direction going to be? Because right now, like what we're describing right now, I think maybe we get 20 steps mm-hmm. out. Is that normal or is that at the high end of... Well, you, you've provided lots of interesting. Um, <laughs> I never thought of it that way, right? But let's 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 go with that number, and let's let's say that's that's fair. So certainly, I can see these things, you know, continuing to get longer. Um, but you, you certainly want to keep track of them as they're going longer, and, and start seeing. Look, are they are they still giving me good results, right? Or do I need to revisit yeah. my initial assumptions? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> now I mean, you're not going to like this, but you threw out a crazy metaphor. So I'm going to use one, too. I was listening to a show about parallel universes and how every time you have uh, a choice of, you know, uh, you're going to move to California or not move to California. Or their example was even simpler. Like you're going to keep your beard or you're going to shave your beard. Every time you have a choice like that, a new universe is created for the choice that you didn't make. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we are creating machines that are making these if then choices. Are we now having parallel universes that are entirely dictated by the choices machines are coming to? And what does that mean? Wow. My brain hurts from that, but (laughs) that's a heck of an example. Um, So, but rather than than spinning a a whole universe, you can certainly think um, that the machines are are learning from, from every um, instance we, we, we give to them. Um, Again, not in this sort of artificial generalized intelligence, which we talked about before, but very specific to this application. If you, uh, you know, delete the word that it suggested, it's, it's learning that, Hey, that, that was a bad, that was a bad outcome. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and if you don't delete the word, it's saying, Hey, it was good enough. Right. So you may decide that you're just tired of going back and correcting it. You're going to let the bad auto corrections go through, and then you're just going to call me later and explain it. Um, the machine will have learned the wrong lesson from that. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's absolutely possible. <sighs> Oof. All right. I should think about that more. Um, and we haven't even gotten to the big question that I really wanted to ask you today, but that's okay. I'm going to keep going because this is so helpful. Um, so I upgraded my iOS on my phone and now I have swipey text. I think there's a better word for it, but, um, basically I drag my finger around my keyboard instead of tapping and it is, Oh my God, it's predicting what I'm spelling. And it's crazy, crazy. Now I did some looking up. I know that this technology has been around for Android for almost 20 years now. And now we have it in, you know, built into iOS. How, the heck does that work? That seems like the next step of what you were just talking about with autocorrect and spell check. Sure. So uh, the, the way I think about this, this uh, swipey or swipe to type or, or whatever it's called is it's using all the same stuff as the, the type ahead, but it has an additional input feature, um, which is as you move your finger, you've got um, a direction and you've got a speed. Right. I guess in physics, this would be a velocity. Um, but you, you've got sort of a, a target, right, of, of where you're moving. And I think on top of all the things you can do just based on the text, you can also do some uh, analysis on the keyboard saying, look, I'm going in this generalized direction with this generalized speed. Like what letters are over in that direction um, and which letters contribute to words that make sense? Ah, so wait, hold on. I have to ask, does that mean you're giving it another layer of things to compare to? Not just, uh, I'm off one letter. So there are other there. I found like five other words that if you changed one letter, it would be right. And then Mm -hmm. on top of it, you add location. So it's even more accurate. 
Yeah. So, so they may, uh, whether they, they do it in separate layers or they provide it, you know, in, in the same layer as just additional features, it's, it's tough to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to, to read you something. I found this on, on digitaltrends.com uh, and they're explaining about swipe typing. Uh, I've mm-hmm. got about two paragraphs here that I'll just read out. So uh, the benefit of swipe typing is that it's generally much faster than typing on each key in succession. Once you've gotten to grips with the technique, you'll find yourself swiping through sentences in record time. The downside is that swipe typing can be less accurate than normal typing, but there are ways to alleviate that. After swipe typing, the keyboard will offer up three options for your swiped words. You can tap to select the one you want. Or if the center correction is correct, you can swipe to the next word to auto-select it. These predictions will get more accurate the longer you use your keyboard, but if you're using unusual words, you'll probably need to tap type them out. So there, there's a, uh, several things I, I, I love in that. Um, so one is that they identify, they realize that they, they may make mistakes, right? So they'll, they'll let you correct it by giving you three choices. Uh, they provide a reasonable default by saying, look, if you don't do anything, I'll just assume the center was correct. Um, they point out that it might be less accurate at first as it learns your new patterns, right? Um, and then there's a call that these predictions will get more accurate the longer you use your keyboard, which is once the training kicks in, uh, you'll start to get better. So that, right, that makes sense. You expect that with machine learning. Mm -hmm. Um, Is this... I don't know what I'm trying to say here. It seems so much more advanced, but maybe it's not really. Uh, well, it's, it's certainly very clever, right? Um, yeah. So one thing that, that actually one thing that I wonder about this, though, is I, I wonder if at some point the, the, tr- the, the feedback loop breaks down, that the longer you get used to using this thing, I wonder if you don't start, sw- if you start swiping less far, right? Um, oh, and, yeah. You get and now swipe. It's, yeah. Now you provide a little bit less, right? Less useful de- data as you don't push quite as hard or quite as far in the, in the direction of the right word. Um, I, I wonder if there is sort of a negative feedback loop that, that takes effect. I, I haven't used this, this feature. I don't know if you have. Yeah, I've used it. I'm not awesome at it. Um, I think it takes some practice and I get impatient quickly, but the, as a typographer, which is my original training, what I what blows my mind about this is that based on the sh- how we've visually designed a keyboard and the shapes that you're making to write a word, it's like we now have another uh, written language on top of our own based on the design of the technology we're using. So like something shaped with two loops and an up and down, that word now has like a drawing associated with it. Um, and if eventually we lose the keyboard entirely and we're just used to drawing these words by shape. That, that is interesting. So well, actually one thing that you said that really um, caught my attention was you said, I'm not awesome at it. Uh, meaning I'm not awesome at swipe to type, like mm-hmm. as if that's your fault, right? So this is you saying, look, I haven't sufficiently adapted to this technology that's trying to help me, right? The yeah. other way to think about it is that as designers, you say, look, how hard are we, how much effort are we making the users put into this, right? So I don't have a dog in the fight for a swipe to type, whether it's a good idea or not. Again, I, I don't use it because um, I don't know if I'm stubborn or I just do it the old yeah. way but um yeah if you have to put in the time there's a there's a very fair question is this going to be worth it for me and how hard do i have to work i'm from the midwest everything's my fault way <laughs> 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 <Before> it goes <laughs> It is cool though. Like, I, I don't know, like just little features like this, little things we take for granted, mm-hmm. spell check, autocorrect, swipey typey. It's having so many like big implications, which just makes me feel like this is a nice intro episode for 2020 as we enter like a new decade in this new millennium of how little we understand about the actions we're taking and the long-term effects they're really going to have. I just, 
it's incomprehensible. And could you please write up a model to figure that out for us? I'll get right on it. <laughs> Excellent. I'll do the branding while you're working on it. <laughs> um, do you want to take this further and talk about Alexa home control or do you want to stop there? Sure. We can, we can keep going. Uh, so uh, a lot of people may have some sort of you know, s- smart home devices, whether they use Alexa or, or any of the other um, different manufacturers. And this ultimately becomes from a training perspective, it's much closer to the, the chat example that we were talking about. Um, so generally you're speaking into some microphone and the, the microphone is trying to determine uh, if you're asking for a specific task to be happening, right? So uh, it needs to gather an intent, which is, uh, for, for instance, there may be a turn on it, uh, intent. You know, you want to turn on the lights or activate the lights or uh, there's all sorts of ways that you can talk about um, the, the intent to turn on right, or to enable something. But it also has to figure out which specific thing do you want, right? Um, so uh, the, 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 the example I'm used to is that you can give each of the lights that you want it to turn on a different name, right? So uh, it has two jobs essentially when you're speaking to it. One is, are you asking to turn something on? Uh, and the second is, which of these things are you asking to turn on in the first place? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so object and action. Yep. Uh, so let's think about from, from Amazon's point of view, how am I going to train this thing given that I don't know what you're going to call your lights? Right. So I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to train lots of examples of, um, general t- turn on, right? Because I expect lots of people to say turn on or activate or, or whatever. And I can come up with a reasonable set of things that might people might uh, ask to turn on. I might say the living room light, the kitchen light, the bathroom lights. Um, and you, you could think of, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 more, uh, common things that I would expect people to say. Right. So I can train a speech service to recognize the, these things and I can tell it, um, Hey, these are words or these are phrases that, that appear a lot. Right. And I'll do, I'll do a pretty good job, uh, at that targeted space. And, and by the way, um, every time anyone speaks to their, their Alexa or whatever uh, device they have, I'm going to send that training data back home, right, to to the the, the central service and try to learn from it as well. Yeah. Right? Um, but if if I name my light something uh, clever. Um, like, uh, do you remember the cartoon uh, Home Star Runner? Right. No. <laughs> so if I, say, turn, if I say turn on the home star light, um, it, and I name my light the home star light, uh, yeah, it may not recognize that, right? Because nobody else has named their light home star. Yeah. Right. So uh, it'll probably struggle at that. But you assign the name to the light fixture with the bulb in it. <laughs> And I'm typing it out to write the name and then it doesn't seem to have a problem. Although this was Alexa two years ago, maybe they've changed how it's set up. Like you just say it, but is it just like a recording or a typed out word associated with an object? It's not really understanding the word. It's just, again, like looking for the closest match of letters or sounds. Yeah. I mean, it's matching an audio. It takes an audio stream and it's trying to map it down to words. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's been trained on what, what signals go to the, the morphemes and the phonemes, which are just word segments. Right. Um, and it'll put together the best guess of what those words actually mean, um, or what, what words were present in that waveform. And then the second step is, okay, given the set of words that I've understood, do they matter? to some action or not right was it was it you asking to turn on the living room light or was it you telling your husband to take out the trash again like the thing that's amazing about this is the speed it just like we don't really talk about that and how pivotal it is to ai actually working but 
these little computers are processing so much information so fast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of it's, uh, on, on the edge, on the, on the actual device and some of it is, is phoning home, right. And letting some, uh, computer back at the homeland or, or back in, uh, back in the cloud to, to sort this out. Right. So your, your Alexa probably isn't running all that on the, on the device. It's capturing your audio and sending it back to Amazon. Then booming it right back to me like yeah. in, in Turing test time, uh, you know, speeds. That's yeah. absolutely incredible. Hmm. All right. I'll stop gawking at that stuff, but wow. Just wow. Um, how about other applications like, um, just speech bots in general, or like, per, like you're talking about personalized training where I'm giving it direct feedback and Alexa and Amazon are doing general training, the amalgamation of everyone's feedback. Like, yep. um, how to tell me a little bit about how that works. Right. So again, we can consider this Alexa as a speech bot. It's a, a, it's a simplified bot wherein that there's there's only one turn in the conversation, right? You say something and it does something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a full conversation on this. Um, but uh, the, the, the Alexa for sure has a, a large generalized training base right? where they've trained on um, lots of different English phrases, although they've probably got other languages as well. Let's assume English for now. They've 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 gathered a bunch of, of phrases that they expect people to to say. Um, they've gathered lots of ex- instances of people actually saying these things, right? Um, and they'll apply this generally to, to everybody. So when I buy, uh, if I would go buy an Alexa, I would get uh, the benefit of however many hundreds of thousands or millions of people have gone before me training this thing first, right? Whether they knew uh, it or not. Whether they knew it or not. And if I name my light, the living room light, there's a very good chance that that's already in the training database. And, um, it knows both what that sounds like and it knows what to do with that. Right. Um, but I can also consider a a personalized example where, um, let's say, and I don't know if Alexa does this, but I can supplement, uh, let's say I could supplement this and I gave my light a really quirky name. I named it the Homestar light. And it doesn't understand that at first, but, uh, there are ways that it can, it can figure out that that's a phrase I'm likely to say the most, the, the simplest method is it could look at the, the directory of all the devices I've got named and it can pull in those words and it can supplement its existing dictionary of words and say, well, if you don't see something from the generalized dictionary, it may be in this specific dictionary because this user these are words this user is going to say more than the others. Hmm. Right. And if we go back to that phone example where it was, you said it was figuring out somebody's name, right? Uh, you can again consider that the, the phone has access to your contacts. So it can say, look, I, I've got the generalized English corpus, but also I've got all the names in Jen's phone. Right. Yeah. So if I combine those two things, those are things that, that Jen is likely to say, or she's likely to type. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not going to be thrown into the general thing because you've got, um, the, your friends are different from my friends, different from everybody else's. Um, but it can jump in specifically for you and say, look, if, if my generalized fail or if, um, or if I think there's something in this personalized that can match, I can still use that. So does that mean all of my personal devices have their own gen libraries on them or does that live gen library, those all live back in the cloud that Amazon owns somewhere? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's tough to say, uh, you, you, you can't know for sure. You can get a, if they're following the rules and let's assume they are, um, every app, every device, every, whatever is, is giving you the privacy agreement and it's, it's telling where it's telling you, Hey, we're collecting this and we're using it for that. Um, and that was the purpose behind GDPR and that kind of, um, uh, regulation. Additionally, applications can tell you things like, Hey, I need access to 
your phone or microphone, your microphone, your context list, whatever, right? Where you can start inferring like, hey, I'm playing this, um, um, I'm playing this game on my phone and it wants access to my context list. So why is that? Right. And it could be because it wants to type ahead. Uh, it wants to use their names in the type ahead, or it could be because it wants to uh, send them invitations to play this game. Right. It's tough to tell. Do you have an Alexa or a similar device in your house? I No, I don't have one. And how come? So one, I don't feel that I need it. And, and two, I am suspicious of sending too much data to the cloud, mm-hmm. to two external providers. Yeah. Because what, what would the consequences of that be for you personally? Uh, so, so more I'm, I'm suspicious of things that are always listening. So I, I will say that I use Siri all the time um, to, to mostly to set reminders um, where it's, it's the fastest interface uh, to do that. So the, certainly there's a convenience factor where, where I'll use this stuff, but um, always listening is a little too much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of months ago, I went and downloaded all the data that Google had been collecting on me. And what I was really surprised by was that uh, I don't use Siri and I don't talk to my phone or have things like that set up. Um, There were recordings of me talking in the car because my phone was in the car with me. Wow. Yeah. And as somebody who works in a really competitive industry and we have signed NDAs on a lot of the work that we do, um, I just am wondering how soon it is before you, you can't talk about anything work related unless you're inside of this insulated building type situation and how much of that data is actually being picked up by potentially adversaries or competitors or, you know, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And, and, and we've kind of touched on this uh, in the past couple episodes that we're still early, um, in, in these, you know, AI machine learning days. Um, and and this stuff is being worked through and it's being worked through in earnest right now. So we saw GDPR, um, California just passed a major, um, you know, privacy or, or data regulation, uh, set of regulations around data. I feel like we're, we're still working through all this kind of stuff, right? So we've got the the generalized guidance um, and and people are free to trade off, um, you know, convenience for, um, you know, privacy, but we're still understanding just the the full scope of what's going on and and how we ought to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, even the thing is, even when you do set those rules, do set GDPR guidelines or, you know, uh, IBM has its own set of, you know, things that we adhere to. We've got them published. How do you know for certain that those rules are being adhered to? Like there's really no way to insist that someone prove that. It's tough. Yeah, absolutely. It's really hard. It is. It's a really, if somebody out there is looking for a topic to go into for college so that they have a job later, do that, figure that stuff out. <laughs> Um, all right. I think we've gone through our full list of things we wanted to talk about. I agree. Yeah. Okay, good. Let's wrap it. All right, let's wrap it. So guys, I hope this was helpful to you in demystifying some of the simpler, uh, but yet complex and convoluted things that we're doing with machine learning today. Andrew, thank you so much for answering all of my weird twisty questions. This was fun. Um, Please make sure you, 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 um, you, you, uh, subscribe, Uh, leave us a comment anywhere you like. We're at AI Zen podcasts on Twitter. Uh, we're uh, at Andrew Arfried on Twitter and LinkedIn, Jennifer Sukis on LinkedIn, and also AI Zen with Andrew and Jen on LinkedIn. We love hearing from you. So many places you can reach us. Yes. Anyway, um, Andrew, it's so nice to start the year off off with you again. And uh, I'm excited about what we're going to do next. (laughs) Bye, guys.